Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. You bet your ass, baby. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there. That even wants to be a little bit mellow now, is there? Anybody wants to get mellow, you can turn around and get the fuck out of here, all right? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday on all your major podcast platforms. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. And as I tell you guys every week, the interviews you hear on the podcast all originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard live Monday through Friday, Sirius XM Channel 103 Faction Talk, or via the Sirius XM app live or on demand. If you only listen to this podcast and you don't come on board with us on Sirius XM, you're only getting a tiny, tiny taste of what I do on the radio here on the podcast. So consider joining us if you're in the U.S. or Canada for the daily show and get involved with us talking rock every day, live 3 to 5 Eastern on Faction Talk 103. Or again, you can listen anytime on the app. And to make it easier for you to sample SiriusXM for three months totally free, no credit card required, all you've got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk and get your free three-month trial, radio or app, and you can join us live every day. Get a little taste of it. Again, don't even need your credit card. Check it out and get a three-free-day sample, or three-month sample, rather. SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Come on board and join us for the daily show live every day or on demand anytime you want on the app. There's also the sixth show on Mondays on Hair Nation, 5 to 8 Eastern, 
You got That Rocks, my YouTube show with Don and Jim. Check those out. They're totally free, available anytime you want on YouTube. Just punch in That Rocks in the search. A lot of different ways to connect. And if you happen to be in Vegas this coming Saturday, come and hang with me at Vamped. I'll be hosting the Dead Daisies, the final show of their current tour there. Uh, Should be a lot of fun. Always a great time at that club. Hope to see you Saturday night at Vamped in Vegas for the Daisies if you happen to be in that area of the country. And then the following weekend, if you happen to be in the New Jersey, New York area, join me for the Inked Out Tattoo Expo, which is coming up. And that's going to be a lot of fun. You can get tickets for that. It's going down on the 16th, uh, 15th and 16th and 17th of September. 15th and 16th are the music. On the 15th, you've got Gray Days and Mario Barth's band, the legendary tattoo artist. And then on the 16th, you've got a great lineup that features Stephen Piercy, Sebastian Bach, Phil Lewis of L.A. Guns, Tame Me Down a Faster Pussycat. I'll be hosting those events So come on out and join me at Inked Out at the Meadowlands Expo Center that weekend. A lot of stuff going on. Then uh, coming up towards the end of September, there's a bunch more stuff I'll tell you about when we get closer. Power Trip is coming up. The Sands is coming up. Keep you posted on everything as we go. Going to be an extraordinarily busy end of the year. Hope everybody in the U.S. had a great Labor Day weekend. Two interviews for you this week. Coming up second, John Gallagher of the band Raven talking about their new album and everything they have going on. But to start us off, Steve Whiteman of Kicks. This interview took place about a week and a half ago, and it's timely because Kicks are about to play their last ever show at the Meriwether Post Pavilion in their home of Maryland. The band is retiring. That final show happens on September 17th. And in this interview, Steve Whiteman talks about the band's decision to retire and talks about why they are doing it and what his future plans, if any, are. So very timely to bring this interview to everybody now, free worldwide, after having done it live on Sirius XM a couple weeks ago. Steve Whiteman of the band Kicks talking about their finale, which is coming up very, very soon, followed by John Gallagher of Raven. Let's start with Steve right now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. When last we visited with this guy, we were on board a cruise ship, that cruise being the Monsters of Rock cruise, and he visited the broadcast, and we chatted for a bit. And uh, at the end of that conversation, he pulled me aside off the air, and he said, hey, Uh, I didn't want to say it on the air yet, but we're actually ending the band. It's going to be announced in a couple of days. And I'm like, what? (laughs) And now there are just three precious shows left for the great band Kicks. Joining me now to talk about that is their lead singer, Steve Whiteman. How are you, buddy? I'm great, Eddie. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So it was interesting now that I recollect and go back on that time on the cruise when uh, when you guys were on, because I kind of broached to you the topic of like when you'd know it would be right for kicks to be done. And you kind of had half a smile. Now they think about it and you go, oh, we we know when the time will be right. And you couldn't say it at that time because it wasn't public yet. But a couple of days later, you did. So I guess start with that, Steve, like the decision had been made back then and now you're in the home stretch, but talk about the reasons for the decision that you're putting a button on the band. Well, if ever the world was 
was shouting at a band to get the hell out. <laughs> it's us. Um, but I, I announced last year to the band and to our agent that at the end of 2023, I was done, that um, my wife was retiring. And I've been doing this since I was like 13 years old. And I'm, 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 I'm sick of all the travel and all the, all the BS. And the only thing I really enjoy is getting on stage. And to be honest, I'm not as good as I used to be. And I know that. And I don't want to go out sucking. I want to go out uh, being pretty good. But, you know, um, age, age takes, takes its toll. And all the things that happened to Jimmy, Jimmy with a heart attack. And then when he just collapsed in, in Leesburg, Virginia, and literally died on stage. And thank God for Mark and, and Brandon, who knew, who knew uh, how to get him back and, until the EMTs got there. But uh, I, I could have stopped right there. And then Jimmy and his wife discussed it, and they come up with a, a, a date. And we were going to end at Rocklahoma because that was our first big sh- festival show that Sullivan Big had booked us at, first time out of our little comfort area that we've been playing for four or five years before that. And we thought it would be cool to – that's where we started, and that, that's where we'll end. But then Sullivan talked us into doing the next week at Hinkley, Minnesota, and we thought – you know, it's not very fair to the hometown fans because I basically wanted to just fade away. I didn't want to make a big announcement or announce a whore tour or final anything. I just wanted to go away. But uh, the guys talked to me about it, and they thought, you know, we should do one more big show at home. So luckily, the people at Merriweather were willing to to, to go for it. And we didn't know how it was going to go because Merriweather is about a 15,000-seat uh, venue, we thought, well, we can draw four or 5,000 people. You know, that would be great. And I think we're over 10,000 at this point. So it, it, it's for the hometown fans, and it's, it's a, a big shebang to say thanks for all, for all the years, for the memories, for the support, and uh, love you guys, but we're tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you, you, for those that don't know, you play Merriweather Post Pavilion every year as, the, as one of the acts on M3 ever since that started. But, but yeah, it's amazing to see and so awesome to see the support there in your hometown to fill that building because it is a big amphitheater. So that is awesome. And that date is the 17th of September, so coming up rapidly. Um, yep. But Steve, I want to go, go back to something you said because I think it's really interesting. And it's something that I say all the time from a fan perspective. I am somebody that as much as I love all of these bands that I grew up with, some of which have become friends like yourself, um, but all these groups, as much as I love them, I would much rather see them end and still be pretty good and still be pretty intact than go through the motion, stay too long at the party and you start saying to yourself, oh, man, you should have seen what they used to be. And yep. hearing what you're saying, that sounds like that is also really important to you for the band and for the legacy. Now, you take tremendous care of yourself. You're in tremendous shape physically. But you said yourself just a couple minutes ago, you don't feel like you're as good as you once were. And, yes, we know age catches up to everybody at some point. Where do you feel there's been some deficiencies in what you do? Um, I mean, my voice, I used to, I never had a break. I could go from, I had four octaves, uh, range and I never struggled hitting anything. I've had to pretty much totally change the way I sing. Luckily I was a vocal coach, so I knew how to, how to, I don't want to say fake things, but change things. So it's the fans really wouldn't know that I'm not singing like I used to. And there are nights, 
uh, out of the past couple of years where I've come off stage just humiliated because I can't sing Don't Close Your Eyes like I used to or I can't sing Cold Blood. And these are the songs that the fans are out there waiting for. And that's when I started to think, I don't want to do this if I can't do it well anymore. And look, you don't need to name names here, and I don't expect you to. But doing oh, a daily <laughs> – well, yeah, you're retired, so you don't give a fuck yeah. now. You can say whatever I you want. <laughs> but every – but I get calls to this show being a daily show, which I always say is kind of like sports talk for rock fans. Every day yep. people go out to shows around the country, and they'll call into me, and I saw this band, I saw that band. This guy was great. This guy's not good anymore. This guy's singing to a track. This guy's not even singing anymore. He can't sing at all. I mean, there's you you being out there and you guys are on a ton of festivals and on a ton of different environments and you see a lot of bands around you from your era, some real good and some a shell of what they once were. That I imagine also I probably played into it a little bit. Did you look around and see some of the bands you're out there with on this scene and be like, man, I don't want to turn into that. Absolutely. I mean, I, I won't name names, but yeah, I, I would look at it and I would feel sorry for them because I guess they didn't they didn't plan very well for the end, you know, and they probably need the paycheck. So they're out there faking it and just they're just mailing it in just to get to get the check. And I would never, ever do that. Luckily, me and my wife have, have planned well and, and I'm able to to walk away and, and enjoy life after after rock and roll. Yeah, did. um. We, and we and you talked about the various we talked in depth about the stuff that Jimmy went through when you were on with me from the cruise and people can go to the app and grab that interview if you missed uh -huh. it but it's incredible what Jimmy endured and how his you know literally twice what went on there uh I think Brian, am I correct that Brian had some sort of health scare did he not land in the hospital recently Yes he did it was it was, a, it was probably 2 or 3 months ago um this is the weirdest thing he has he, he just installed a, a tankless water heater, a gas tankless water heater, and his his carbon monoxide alarm kept going off and he just thought it was it was a, a fluke or, or it was broken. He turned it off and they noticed that their cat started acting really weird and they had to take it to the vet. And it wasn't long after that that he he had this tankless heater in the room where he, he does his he works out like an animal and he was uh he was working out and just he just he said he just felt weird. So he basically had a stroke from carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh my gosh. That, I mean, yep. that could easily be deadly. I mean, what, a, that is yeah. crazy. It's, it's uh, a, and that's a cautionary tale of people out there too. Not, not to get on a soapbox about this, but I mean, I have a little house at the beach and my carbon monoxide detector was just out. And I went there and my daughter had unplugged it and left it on the kitchen table. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. She was making a funny sound. I'm like, well, 30 bucks gets it replaced and can save your life. You know, so right. I go to the hardware store, 30 bucks. I plug a new one in. I'm like, you just don't take it and throw it on the counter. So, yeah, these are just all common sense things that and, and it sounds like in Brian's case, it was like a, a freak thing that happened. But thank God he's OK. Yeah, it, it it scared the hell out of us. And I, honestly, he's he's not a hundred percent yet. He's 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 doing a whole lot better every week. He, he feels a little better, but um, that's the other. I mean, with Jimmy going down, then Brian is just like. And I've been dealing with this condition called uh, neuropathy in my feet. So I'm at the point now, after five years of dealing with this shit, that being beaten the hell out of my feet on stage is very very uncomfortable and and it's painful. So 
that's another reason that I thought it's, it's time to get out. My voice is going away. My feet hurt. <laughs> Jimmy and Brian have had health problems. I mean, Brian and or um, Mark and Bob are, are the only two that are that are skating right now. The rest of us are like, we got issues. Now, let me ask you this about, and I'll see you at Rocklahoma, and I'm looking forward to it. And, of course, the other show is at, in Hinkley. But this show that's coming up at your final, final show, Meriwether Post Pavilion, hometown, um, is there anything that you have planned a special for that? Will we see Ronnie join the band? Will we see Donnie maybe join the band? I mean, I know he hasn't been a part of all this. <laughs> Well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, no. So t- tell us gut. where. Tell us. Tell us about that, please. Well, um, yeah, Ronnie's going to be there. Ronnie, we asked Ronnie to come and join us. We also asked Brad Divins, who played guitar on the second album when Ronnie had his first um, lapse with with drug addiction. So Brad's going to be there, and we're 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 going for it. I mean, the the venue is offering all these specials and it's going to be the biggest show of our lives with, with all these things that they have planned for us and just getting Ronnie up there for the fans. I think is going to be amazing. Um, is he going to play the full show or just make an appearance, no. Steve? He, 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 I think what we're planning, I, I don't want to let it out of the bag yet, but yeah, he's going to come up and do probably three to four songs because it wouldn't be fair to Bob Perry. Who's, who's filled in admirably for Ronnie while Ronnie was getting, getting his shit together and Bob has done an amazing job and he's become an amazing friend and his contribution to this band has been overwhelming at times. So we wouldn't uh, do that to Bob. It wouldn't be fair to him. And Ronnie understands that. And it's, it's totally agreeable upon coming up and being a guest. And is Ronnie okay in his recovery? It, do, have you guys been in close contact with him? Do you know how he's doing? Yeah, he's doing great. In fact, Bob has invited him to his house to, to play with some, Bob's a, a maniac when it comes to collecting amps and guitars, and Ronnie loves that stuff. So they've been getting together and, and preparing for his appearance at the show. And uh, everybody's just really looking forward to this. And, and having Brad Divins, we haven't played with Brad Divins since 1982. So that's going to be fun. And Donnie is a non-starter. You said, I think you said he hates your guts. Can you elaborate? That's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> he, uh, I don't know. He he can take a grudge and hold onto it like a tick. And uh, it's unfortunate because I know the fans would love to see him and I wouldn't shoot it down. But when we started to do these kick shows again and Mark Shanker was, was in funny money with me. And when we, we got the offer to get together and do a, do a kick show, um, you know, I even put it out there. I said, you guys want to invite Donnie in on this? And, and they all said, hell no, they didn't want to deal with him. And you know, we've taken his music and we've we've taken a second, made a second career out of it. So I understand his uh, his resentment, but I don't know how you can go through life with that kind of a grudge and resentment daily. You know, and that's what he does, and that's his prerogative. And you know, it's sad that he feels like that, but that's the way it is, and we've moved on. You know, you for people that don't know the history, first of all, Donnie Donnie wrote the bulk of the Kick songs, correct? Yep, he wouldn't let anybody oh. else write. <laughs> so, so he he he's the 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 primary songwriter in the history of Kicks. But I remember very clearly, Steve, because before you restarted Kicks again with Mark, you had the band Funny Money, and Mark was in it, and you were on my radio shows. The, 
I mean, I've got a huge history with you guys because this is my 40th year doing this. So I remember yeah. all of these different benchmarks along the way. And I remember interview interviewing you during the before kicks started again during the funny money period. And anytime kicks would come up, you would always say, no, nope, not going to do it. it. You know, Donnie doesn't want to do it. Donnie's not in the band. Donnie won't be in the band. Donnie wrote the songs. Not going to do it. So to to your credit, you resisted doing this for a while. And that was one of the main reasons, right? Until you finally just said, well, this guy's never going to come around. Is that, was that the mentality then? Um, you know, it was, it was just people talking to us. And, and th this is what really kicked it all off. We had at the time, Ronnie had a band called Blues Vultures and I had Funny Money. And Jimmy had just started coming back out and doing some shows with Ronnie as a fill-in drummer. So we did this big club in Baltimore where it was the Blues Vultures and then Funny Money. And then we all come out and did a kick set. And the place was packed to the gills and went crazy. And it just, you know, we just looked at each other and thought, this is nuts to not take advantage of this. So we started just doing local shows, like maybe eight, ten shows a year in PA, Virginia, D.C., and Baltimore. And that was the extent of it. And until I got a call from Sullivan Big saying, hey, I can book you guys across the country. And I laughed at him. I thought he was nuts. And he had me on the phone for a couple of hours trying to convince me of, of our value in the market. And, I'm, and he, I said, okay, go ahead. And he booked Rocklahoma. And then he, it hasn't stopped since. Yeah. For those that don't know, the Sullivan that, that Steve is discussing and talking about is the band's booking agent, Sullivan Big. And I always laugh about that when you tell that story, too. And I think I told you this, Steve, because I will never forget getting a call from Sullivan and him saying to me, I put him back together. You're not going to believe who's touring. You're not you're sitting down. And honestly, no offense, but I thought he was going to tell me he reunited Led Zeppelin or something. <laughs> and he goes to me, because to him it was. And he goes to me, uh, I got to, it's happened. I go, what, what is it, Saul? What is, what are you doing, Saul? Yeah. Kicks, Kicks is coming back. I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, <laughs> I had nothing against you guys. I love you to death. But I thought he was going to say he just put, you know, page and plant together. And I didn't know what he was I talking know. about. And he was so amped up about it. And that, and if I'm being honest, that was my initial thought was kind of like, okay, well, how much are they going to do? And I remember him saying to me, it's only going to be select shows, maybe six or eight shows a year. That's it. And then the next thing you know, here we go. Like, what was that? 15 years ago. And you guys are out playing all over the place. Yeah. It was 2008 when, when we played Rocklahoma for the first time. 15 and, years. And he used to, yeah. He flew out to every show for the first couple of years. He said, Kicks flies, I fly. <laughs> and he was he a very excitable guy. And he, I think, you know, he was a new booking agent. It was new to him. Yeah. And he, he, he was a big fan of ours because he used to come see us play in Boston. So when he, when we agreed to, to, to go with, and we've never signed a contract with him. It's nothing but a handshake and, and a verbal agreement. And it's, it, he's been the best. He's been great. When you look back on this second wave of kicks, then um, this, this, which is now 15 years and is about to come to an end, uh, you, you, you're happy with everything that went on? Are you glad you did it? Are you glad you did it to the extent that you did? Are there any any reservations or is it nothing been but been positive? I mean, what are your thoughts on what what basically was a whole second wave of the band? Well, it kind of blew us all away because we didn't expect it. I, I didn't think people in in um, 
Oklahoma would give a shit about us. And I didn't think people across the country would give a shit. But when we start going to like LA and doing the whiskey or doing the rainbow, places would be sold out. And it was that way with most of the clubs and then getting in all these festivals and the, and the monsters of rock cruises, it just kind of got the word out there and we were still pretty damn good. So we impressed a lot of people with our show and the word just kept spreading and we just kept getting bigger gigs and more money. And it's like, okay, this is, this is a very good thing. And the beauty of it is that we all loved each other. You know, we all got along. There was no, no animosity, no problems, no, you know, until Ronnie went down again, you know, that, that was a bummer, but, uh, uh, luck, we were lucky enough to, to find Bob Perry to come in and, and take over for him. Did it surprise you in the second wave of the band how many of your contemporaries and fellow musicians loved Kicks? I mean, when I go to see you guys, whether it's a cruise or a festival or where there's multiple bands on the bill, when you guys play, everybody from the other bands is out watching. I think, um, I think it was on the cruise where Extreme were playing and they pointed to yeah. you or somebody and said, you know, what we're doing up here is just ripping you guys off. Did you realize you've <laughs> had you had that impact and that kind of love from other bands from your era? We did, yeah. We we noticed it. We could see all the uh, all the all the other band members from the other bands off to the side of the stage. And Nuno always always calls us out and and gives us props. And you know, he's like one of the best in the world. So. <laughs> You know, hearing things like that, it makes you uh, it makes you proud of what you've done, what you've accomplished. And, um, yeah, looking looking over and seeing all those other band members checking us out. It made us feel really good that, you know, people people want to see what we do, because what we do is is pretty, pretty damn good. Yeah, no doubt. And it will certainly be missed. And and I want to ask you about the original beginnings of the band, Steve, when we look back on the history of kicks, because. You you guys broke off of um, Blow My Fuse and Don't Close Your Eyes and all that stuff. But I actually remember the band before that. I remember the video for Body Talk. I remember the really <laughs> early records. Uh, what, what what year was the first record that it actually came out? Was it 80? It was 81. 81. So joined, my point... Yeah, I, go ahead. I, I, joined the, I joined the band in 79 and... We uh, we we played every dump in the in the area for for a, a couple of years, and then we started to draw these big crowds because we were really good at covering Led Zeppelin and AC/DC, which we you know two of the best bands ever. And then we would we would lace our shows with our originals, and people start to to like our originals, and that that's when the record company started to sort of sniff around, and and we got signed and made our first album on Atlantic Records, and it came out in '81. So when you joined the band in 79, how, how long, how long had the band been together before you were in? Did you see them around the Maryland area? What was the history prior to you? Yeah. I think they started in 77. I may have joined them in 78, met the fall of 78. And then Jimmy came in in 79. Um, well, I, I had known Donnie and Jimmy from a band called Starship. That was like the best band in the area. And when, uh, when they came up to this little club to see me play and I was still playing drums and doing lead vocals and they come up to see me and offer me the gig as, as lead singer. And at the time I'm like, I'm not a lead singer. I'm a, I'm a drummer and I can sing. And they had another guy who, who played drums and was a pretty good front man, but he wasn't as good a singer as I am. So that lasted for about a year like that. And then we brought Jimmy in and 
that's what that's when it got serious and that's when we started drawing these these huge crowds in these clubs and um the rest is history did you because the reason i bring up those early years too is you know you guys get very much lumped in with the that mid 80s mtv scene which of course you were a part of but i always tell people i'm like if you don't really know the history kicks actually predates that so your your first album or two came out before mtv even existed um yeah atlantic records kind of hung in there with you through the early years didn't they because these days a lot of bands you don't hit first album or whatever you're gone but they really let you guys build do i have that right Sort of. I mean, I, I attribute the, the fandom because at that time we could play from Boston to, to Orlando or, or Boston to Miami and, and fill these clubs up. So when our first album came out, it, it did a respectable 70, 80,000 copies. So that makes them money. It doesn't make us any money, but it makes them money. So they, you know, they're up for the next album and about the same thing, but they just never really got behind them and pushed. They just let our fans that we built up over the years, uh, buy the records and they would throw a single out and wouldn't stick and it'd be over. Um, even on Midnight Dynamite, when we had Bow Hill and we thought we got one, that there's, there's no way this record can't go. And again, the record label just sat on their hands and didn't do anything. So um, that's, that's when we, we got mad and, and we just started taking our bar money and, and our, and our club money and we would save it. And then we would do, we would support our own tours. We would go to, to Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago, Detroit, and go back home, make more money, go to the South, go to Texas, go to LA. And when men, uh, when blow my fuse come out, there was a surge because we've got a lot more fans and uh, that's when they push the magic button. Yeah. So tell me September 17th, rolling in there to Meriwether post pavilion for the final kicks performance. How are you going to be feeling? You have any feelings yet about it? Are you going to be excited? Are you going to be emotional? I mean, how how do you have you processed that yet? Yeah, I've, I'm mentally prepared to to stop because, I, like I said, I was ready to stop when Jimmy went down, <laughs> and I and I already announced last year that I was done. So for me, it's going to be a relief. I mean, I I just want to be good these last three shows. I want I want that show to be very special. But no, I'm there's no sentiment there's I, I'm sure the other guys will have some, but I'm not going to have any. I'm I'm ready to stop. <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's like I can hear it in your voice. You're like, no, nope, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. good. I, I know you always say no band ever retires, and uh, I can guarantee you, you're never going to see me on stage again. Well, that was where I was going to go next because, yeah, yeah I, I mean, whether it was, you know, Motley Crue with the contract and every, we've seen everybody eventually, everybody's got a number, everybody, somebody comes to you and like, Hey, Steve, give me a kick show. Here's $2 million. You're saying no. Well, in order, in order to, to pick it back up, <laughs> no, in order to pick it back up, I would have to continue singing. I, I, I just got done singing before I took this, this call. And that I have to keep my voice in shape, my body in shape, and all the travel and all that. I'm just done with it. So I, I really, really don't. I, I'd say 99.9% that the, this will be our last show. And and Jimmy too. Jimmy Jimmy and his wife have decided it isn't worth it anymore because of, of his health and to make sure that he continues to take care of himself the right way and not be out on the road. I could tell you right now, you get a $2 million offer. Sullivan's going to be on your doorstep looking for that 10%. Oh, I know. You know that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think we're worth $2 million for one thing. I don't think anybody's ever going to pay that. 
<laughs> I'm just kind of have, have joking with you, but I mean, everybody's no, got their number and the whole farewell thing has almost become, especially after Motley and the big deal they made. And now they're out there again, it's kind of become like the joke of jokes, but there are a couple bands that have adhered to it. And you're here to say kicks will be one of them. I'm pretty damn sure. I, I know, um, a, a lot of bands say it and then come back, but, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't announce I'm leaving if, if I wasn't done with it. Who's going to take your slot every year on M3? What are they going to do there? That's a good. That's a good question. I even. I even asked these guys like Bob and Mark and and Jimmy. Jimmy's back, but he's not. He's not. He's not able to sing. He had, he had to put. He had to stop singing because it's too much on his heart to, to do drums and vocals. So Bob has stepped up and and doing a, a pretty good job. But Jimmy. Jimmy's part of our sound. Just that that we always called ourselves the cheerleader sound because we just had that high vocal cheerleader and I miss Jimmy's vocals, but yeah. Um, I forgot your question. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, it's not your thing to figure out, but I'm just going to see you guys are such a fixture when M3 was born headlining that first night all the oh, time, yeah. or I think this year, uh, the head, the last night you did, but whatever the case may be, I don't know if there's another, Maryland-based band that could step in that are hometown guys that could do that, but there's going to be a void there, no doubt, as well. Yeah, yeah, and the Monsters of Rock Cruise. We're going to miss that one, but uh, yeah, and there was talk of doing, you know, let, let's do an M3, let's do a Monsters, let's do this, and, and I'm, I'm the one that said, well, then I've got to continue to keep myself in great shape and right. sing twice a week, and I'm like, I don't want to do that for a few, a handful of shows, so um, yeah, done. <laughs> You, you made a solo record a couple years ago that was real good. Do you have the desire to, even though you want to be done performing, do you have the desire to still do studio stuff from time to time? I don't know. I, I never say never. I mean, that, that was a COVID record, you know, that was something to do. And I didn't think Kicks was ever going to make another record. So I got together with Brad Bivens and Jimmy and Bob and we, and we put that album together and it turned out pretty good. And I'm proud of it. And for those of people who don't know, I have one pick it up it's pretty damn good yeah it is and uh came out a couple of years ago and lastly and i'll let you go steve um i'm you know in the last few years for those that don't know and i know mark's put a lot of work into this too you've done uh reissues remixes of stuff like blow my fuse and midnight dynamite and did a little stuff with the catalog uh, is there more stuff like that do you think coming out uh, you know, would there be box sets or live records? A lot of times after bands end, you see their catalog kind of get repurposed or things come out that never came out before. Is there a lot of stuff in the Kicks archives that we could see that even when the band is done? There was talk of, of doing like a, something for Hotwire and Mark was working on that. But that then when we announced that we were going to be done, I don't know if he stopped doing that. I, we really haven't talked about it, to tell you the truth. So I, I don't know. And one thing I was I was getting ready to tell you, and I forgot, I I went to Mark and Bob and Jimmy and said, why don't you guys try and find another singer and do this without me? If you guys don't want to stop, then, you know, you can find another singer. They do it all the time. All these bands we play with in festivals, had hardly any of the original members are there, but they, they didn't want to do it without me. Well, I credit them greatly for that decision because I think it does matter who is and isn't in the band's and you're right. I mean, we all have seen this a million times. A lot of these promoters, a lot of these casinos, state fairs, whatever, they're buying logos. They don't know what bands are real, what aren't, who is or isn't in them. And that, that is a credit to your band members for doing that, because I personally would not like to see a Kicks without Steve Whiteman. It doesn't 
wouldn't make any sense to me. I don't care who they got. So I think that's a great call. Yeah, you're right. And and and, Sull- and Sullivan was in on the Zoom call when I proposed that to everybody, and they all just shook their head no. And Sullivan said, "Steve, there's no way you can do a kick show without you there." And I'm like, okay, but I I threw it out there, hoping that maybe if they wanted to go on and and do something here and there, that they could do it. Well, I mean, and that's nice of you to make that offer, but then again, it also is a, would be a bit counterproductive if they did that because you were just saying at the top of this interview that one of the reasons why you got, you're calling it is because you feel your ability starting to erode a little bit, even with whatever level you're at now, it's still better than a lot of these guys that have stayed too long at the party. So, you know, but, but I think it would hurt the legacy more if the band went out there without Steve Whiteman versus Steve Whiteman as currently constituted. So I think that it would, you know, it would be a negative as far as what you're trying to accomplish by ending to, to have it go out there in a, in a different version. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I totally get that. But, you know, I, I wanted to put it out there. Well, listen, man, it's uh, congratulations on a remarkable, amazing career. I would, uh, I'd love to tell you I'm going to be at that show at Merriweather, but believe it or not, I got, I got to go do something in Nashville for Billy Gibbons. He's being honored by BMI. So I have to go to uh, be be there for him for that. But I will absolutely see you at what will be your second to last show. That uh, I've hosted Rocklahoma every year since 07. I'll be there again this weekend hosting it. And I can't wait to see you and the guys and see the band one last time. Sounds good, Eddie. Hey, I want to thank you for all the years of your support. You know, like, like you, the, the people that you interview and talk with are, are mind-blowing to me. And then you, you take the time to talk to me. And that that's very special to me. And I've always appreciated you. You're, you're the best at what you do and congrats on your long career. Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say, man, I, I really appreciate that. And um, look, if you get the itch and you decide you're going to start singing again, let us know, you know, if that reunion tour happens, Sullivan talks you <laughs> into it a year from now, Larry Moran comes to you with some crazy offer to be on the monsters of rock cruise. You better be ready, man. <laughs> Two million. Two million. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'll be the guy between you and Sullivan. I'll be like your middleman. I'm like starting numbers, 2 million. I'm sorry. And you know, just kick me like two points on it and I'll, I'll be the blocker for you. We'll take care of it. We'll make it work. Sounds good. (laughs) Hey man, my best to the guys and I'll see you in, uh, I'll see you in Tulsa this weekend. All right. Look forward to seeing you, Eddie. Take care. All right, Steve. Take care, bud. (laughs) All right, bud. Bye. Bye. A lot of respect for that band, Kicks. Great band, great guys. Had a chance to see them at Rocklahoma this past weekend, which will be the last time I ever see them because, uh, of course, they are indeed retiring and I can't make their final two shows, and they are going out strong. Having seen them firsthand, I can absolutely tell you that. Thanks to Steve, and congrats to Kicks on a phenomenal career. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Next up is John Gallagher of the band Raven, a band that started out as part of the new wave of British heavy metal, late 70s, early 80s. A band that at one point people thought were going to be bigger than Metallica, who they toured the clubs with early on. They just released a new album called All Hell's Breaking Loose. Here's John Gallagher of Raven, our second interview on the podcast. Hey, John, how are you, buddy? Eddie, I'm doing great, man. Good to hear you. You too. Where are you at in the world? I'm in the wonderful Newcastle-upon-Tyne at the moment, the, the mother country. Your homeland there. Yeah, You're not li- out here. Half the time I'm here, half the time um, in Florida. And when I'm it neither, I'm on the road. So <laughs> there you go. Is there is there still um, any sort of music scene that you can pick up on in your home area of Newcastle there in the UK? Yeah, it it kind of completely died like like it does, and there's there's a grassroots thing going on. We toured here back in March, and it was pretty good. Uh, we we did well, and I know we're coming back in February. It, to go over it again. Uh, there's a strange trend here with the tribute bands. Uh, a lot of people are, you know, putting on wigs and uh, wear too tight trousers, trying to be people they're not. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, everywhere, though, uh, John. I mean, but, e- but even in the... They're playing. <laughs> they're yeah, playing I mean... the backing tracks, most of them, at least. <laughs> Well, thank God. I mean, yeah, that's. I mean, uh, yeah, that's an epidemic that I'm very outspoken about. And no, you're I, very outspoken and le- leading the charge on that, and I'm a hundred percent with that. Uh, you know, I mean, my whole thing is with with that is, you know, this silence, and then a bunch of guys pick up instruments and create magic. Yes, you don't create magic by hitting a button and just letting something play that you've already done. You know couldn't agree more as a fan it's beyond offensive and i would think as a musician like yourself for almost 50 years i mean with when you put that much work into getting up there and doing it live it's got to be beyond offensive to have a band beyond on the stage before or after you that basically just mime to a laptop and everyone's talking about how great they sounded i could have sounded great if we did it that way really it i mean you know this we all thought this had died to death with Millie Vanilli, like whatever it was, 25, 30 years ago. But uh, I guess it's uh, come back from the dead to haunt us. They've, Millie Vanilli's been vindicated at this point. My gosh, they look like saints compared to some of these other bands <laughs> what they're doing. <laughs> Too 
So, so John, um, one other thing on your area uh, that you're from before we talk about this record, of course, and what's going on with the band back when you were first starting and coming out of Newcastle, that was pretty fertile ground for heavy music, right? There were a lot of acts that came out of there, right? Well, there's always been a lot of music out of this area. I mean, geez, back in the day, you had Hank Marvin, who you might not have heard of, but he had a band called The Shadows with Cliff Richard. They were kind of like the Ventures in the States, guitar instrumental stuff, very twangy. And then there was The Animals with Eric Burden, Alan Price, those guys. They were huge worldwide, tough band from Newcastle. And then, of course, you know, Brian Johnson with Geordie and then ACDC and Sting, Mark Knopfler. There's always been music. But in the late 60s and 70s, there was a lot of heavy bands, definitely, you know. There's always been Did you know... Did you know Brian Johnson when he was coming up on that scene in that from that area? And did you see Jordy at all when you were younger? I didn't know him, but I did see Jordy in, geez, like 77 or 78, and they were phenomenal. Yeah. They were really cool, yeah. and it's good that I'm friends with some of those guys on Facebook now, which is awesome. But, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Brian did come to see us when we did, there was a thing we did for the BBC. We did four trucks, which is floating around on video uh, from 82. And he turned up there and he just looked like a typical working class guy from here with his cloth cap and his whippet dog. And he said, hey, you got to come and jam with the lads, man. It would be great. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, oh, yeah, sure. That's going to happen. But, uh, you know, he's just, uh, he never changed, you know. And just back then, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you know, he's always been good. But back then, he would have given, like, Robert Plant in his prime a run for his money. He had an unbelievable voice. Wow, that is amazing. Um, so, So let's talk a little bit about Raven. So you've got a brand new album out that just sounds like classic Raven, All Hell's Breaking Loose, uh, that has just come out. You've been out doing shows it, it, you know, for people that don't know the recent history with the band, John, you guys were kind of fairly dormant for a while. And then, you you know, you're, for people that don't know, your brother Mark had a horrendous accident working on a construction site years ago. So that took him out of the game for a while. But it really seems like now where we stand in 2023, more so than in a very long time, Raven is a lot more active in terms of touring and consistently making new music. Uh, do I have that right? I mean, are you have you guys kind of uh, put a little more into this? Working on the site, he was actually chasing some deadbeat that owed him money, and <laughs> he are you serious? Kind of hit the lottery <laughs> in the wrong way. He nearly died for God's sake. Uh, but after he, you know literally got back on his feet which took about three and a half years we started thinking about doing a new record and that turned out to be the walk through fire album which came out like 2009 2010 and that was just kind of planting the flag and going okay this is where we start from and you know we upped the game with the next album extermination and then you know our longtime drum- drummer joe Haslevander had a heart attack had to quit we tried a few guys out, and one of the guys that was filling in was Mike Heller, who was, you know, he'd been playing with Fear Factory, and just a phenomenal talent, just an unbelievable player and a, a catalyst 
one of these guys that say, come on, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, full of ideas, full of, you know, constantly, 100% all the time. And it's literally what we needed. And, I mean, he joined in June of 2017. In that six months, we did over 150 gigs. Wow. Which which is just like, and, and that was, you know, that was the path we were taking. And then, you know, we had, like everyone else, our legs cut out by the pandemic for like 18 months. And then we're back on the horse again. But, uh, you know, one thing, we we didn't waste that time. We, you know, we had Metal City, the previous album, ready to go, put it out in September 2020, got a fantastic reaction. And we just were like, yeah, we'll hear the next one. Because we, we, you know, we had a couple of songs already and we wrote an awful lot more. And this album was just more close to home. It was all us, as it were, because Mike engineered the album. We recorded it at his studio. So it was basically totally in-house. We produced it, we recorded it, and we gave it to this wonderful guy, Lamy Lassert, over in Germany, who did the mix. And we just, it's exactly what we wanted. 40 minutes, all killer, no filler, you know, make, move in next door, kill your neighbors, that kind of album. <laughs> you know, we wanted Van Halen 1, Montrose, first album. You know, you play it, it kills you, you want to play it again. That, that was our mission statement. And, you know, it, it does the it does what it says on the tin, as they say in England. <laughs> yeah, no, it really does. I mean, when I listened to it and uh, heard it, I was just like, you know, having known you guys forever, uh, you know, going back to All for One and Wiped Out and all of that, I'm like, it, it, yeah, if you ever loved Raven, there's nothing not to love about this. It captures that energy. It captures that vibe. It captures that, you know, intensity that that raven has always had and uh the video i got a kick out of as well for people that don't know there's a video on uh youtube now for the title track all hell's breaking loose they got you in a straight jacket there john is that a sign of things to come <laughs> definitely straight jacket and uh, i got a was it a pitcher of water thrown in my face i got all kinds of crazy stuff uh yeah we got like uh Three videos out so far for this. We got Go for the Gold, got All Hells Breaking yep. Loose, and Surf the Tsunami. And again, reaction just phenomenal. Because you know, when people like yourself say, "Oh yeah, it's you know, it sounds like the old stuff," it's the spirit, it's the energy. Technically, musically, musicianship-wise, yeah, we're we're further down the path, and we're pushing the envelope. So there's always going to be you know one foot in our legacy and the other foot is going to be stretching out further you know that's how you're hearing things like blast beats on some songs we're not afraid to try stuff if it works you know and for you as the as the bass player lead singer frontman of the band you you've always been uh obviously with your brother super animated out front on the stage and you also to my recollection were one of the first people, if not the first person I ever saw, who fronted a band wearing a headset, you know, without a standard mic on a stand. Do you, where did that idea come to you from? And uh, had you seen anybody do it before you did it? Yeah, I had. Uh, the first person that did it and I saw it was Kate Bush. And I was blown away because she was able to do this. You know, she did those like Madonna and 
uh, what's her name? That's who right now. Oh, jeez. Taylor Swift, you know, those big dance production things. She was doing that in 1979. And, you know, such a trailblazer. But she, you know, obviously couldn't hold a mic and do that. So one of her techs made a headset mic. And I saw it in a video. I'm like, oh, that would be just incredible. No more getting the microphone stand kicked and getting hit in the teeth or getting electric shocks or any of that. And then I saw Sammy Hagar on probably 80, 81 on, was it MTV back then? Yeah, there was that concert from St. Louis where he was running around the stage. There was a car on the stage. And I remember most of the show he was wearing the headset. Yeah, That was our first trip to the States was November in 82. And, you know, I kind of looked into it, didn't have the money for it. But when we... uh, finally came over in 84 the the technology had kind of like you know diluted down to the uh somewhere where we could afford it <laughs> and i went into 48th street in manhattan and got the wireless system got the microphone and we drove ourselves crazy for the next six months trying to make it work because i would sweat so much i would short it out so we had what was called John's colostomy bag at one point. It was all wrapped up in plastic bags and taped <laughs> on the, you know, on the, my back and all that. But we got it happening, and it it was just uh, gives me so much freedom. I'm able to connect with the audience so much better, and I mean, technically, I can sing. And if the the, the sound is bad in one spot, I can move to somewhere else. You know. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Keep my mouth shut if it's on when I'm off stage, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You get caught on a hot mic saying something, it goes out into the crowd, right? We used to do that when when I had my old TV show. We used to we we'd forget that we were were wearing a little mic underneath our our shirts, and we'd be backstage and you know saying something about whatever, and we're like, oh shit! And then somebody would look and point like the mic. We're 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 hot. We're wearing a wire. I mean, <laughs> fortunately, nobody ever said yep. anything crazy, but it's just you forget. You know, you're kind of you're kind of wired up there. So I could see how that could absolutely be a. A point of concern you got to remember yeah you, you turn into a great mime artist all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you know i also want to ask you you know i saw you guys play less than a year ago there was the tribute show to john and marcia z of course you have history at megaforce that's how we know each other we started way back then together um obviously metallica started there and they Metallica did that show in South Florida last year where they had you open and recreated the uh, Kill 'em All All for One tour, basically. And you guys opened. They brought me down to do some hosting. It was a tremendous honor. I mean, it's amazing that those guys, as big as they've become, uh, never forgot their past, never forgot where they came from. And I thought it was so cool that they put you on that show. They put the Raven logo on all the merch. They really recreated that legendary tour from back in like 82 or 83, whenever it was. Um, can you talk about that experience a little bit, what it was like for you to open with them, open for them and reconnect with them again? Or had you been yeah, in close I mean, touch with them? We, we had you know, played with them back in 2014, which came from, you know, audaciousness, really, our agent in Brazil. We, we were booking a tour in uh, South America, 
And the agent said, are you still in touch with Laws? And I said, well, Laws did a cool thing for our DVD. You re- remember the one you did stuff for the DVD too? Right. Then. And I said, I can get in touch. He said, why? He says, well, they're playing this huge stadium, the Morabundi Stadium in Sao Paulo. Let's see if we can open for them. So basically, you know, I got in touch and said, uh, please ask Lars, can we open for them? And Lars got back and said, yes, that would be great. And they treated us like gold. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And so that, you know, that was all, that was back then, 2014. So last year, we're recording the album in Los Angeles. And the concept comes up, hey, next year is the anniversary of the Kill 'em All for One tour, you know? Uh, those guys are just up the road if they're home. Why don't we get in touch? So I got in touch said, you know, would James be interested in sitting down and having a, you know, like a round table discussion, me, Mark and him just talking about that tour. And, you know, we got it on film and all the rest of it. But we went up there, had a great day, uh, you know, got to see Lars, got to see uh, Robert. Kirk had already left. James came a little later. You know, they're always in and out of there. And we did the interview thing. And at the end, I just said, well, you know, if any gigs come up and you need an opening act, we are available, you know. And he just said, well, we've got something coming up in November that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, Let me, you know, I'll be in touch. And you're thinking, yeah, well, maybe, maybe not. But good as his word, two weeks later, you guys want to do this. And it was uh, really, really wonderful to be asked. It was a a great concept and a great tribute, you know. They did a phenomenal job with the way they had their old backline stuff and all the uh, different memorabilia on the screens. But uh, they treated us like gold. We were really well taken care of, and it was a great show for us. And a bit of an eye-opener for a lot of people because a lot of people are in the crowd and people are going, this band's phenomenal. I've never heard of them. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, that's yeah, well, just there it. You go, you know? Yeah, and that's just it. With Metallica's audience, it's so diverse. You know, they're out touring now and I've been taking a lot of calls about the shows they're doing and people have been calling in and saying it's incredible because there's people there with their kids. There's people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I mean, course, it's a wide know, range that they're pulling from. These days gigs, it's which is amazing, you know? Yeah, but for you guys, I mean, uh, the old school people that were there, like myself and others, they of course know the history of Raven and Metallica, but for a lot of younger people, I'm sure that might have been their first exposure to your band uh, at a gig like that all these years later. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what we feed on. We we love that. It's uh, an opportunity to play to people that, you know, haven't got a clue, maybe, and Put us in front of an audience like that, and we will do good every time. We we love that. That's, you know, you know ju- something we're working on more. And it's you know it's so political these days, but you know doing some opening slots with some bands that aren't exactly the same as us is uh, it's a it's a great challenge. And before the pandemic, we were doing great in Europe with that. With we'd opened for Udo on like a fifty day tour. You know, Udo, mm-hmm. the singer. And then sure. we did Saxon in 2018, which was wonderful. And we were all set to do it again in 2020, and ba-boom. But, uh, you know, we're working on stuff. And we're coming back over to the States in October, October, November. 
and we're working on a really cool package. So that, that should be good. You know, one last thing I wanted to ask you about the connection with Metallica and that, that, that goes back over 40 years at this point. Whenever I talk to Lars, and again, as you know, I lived that time with you guys and I worked for the label and worked for Johnny and Marsha. And I, re- I remember Johnny just trying everything to get Metallica played on the radio when they were this new band with their first record. And I always kind of laugh whenever I see Lars or talk to him because for people that knew like what, how uncommercial a, a band like that was viewed at that time to see what they are now is, is just, you, you just laugh because it's just something nobody at that time, I don't think could have ever predicted this massive mainstream crossover giant stadium band. You toured, you guys co-headlined uh, at that time that you did that tour with them in the uh, early eighties. I remember John, there were a lot of people saying, you know, Hey, there were a lot of people that touted you guys as the band that of those two would go on to be that band that could be this massive stadium act. You guys were the ones that had a lot of buzz on you too. Why do you think that didn't happen for Raven? And are you shocked like so many others that lived in that time that it did happen for Metallica, given how heavy they were? Well, it's just a, it's a phenomenon. It really is. I mean, that was our first U.S. headline tour, and we picked those guys as the openers from hearing the No Life to Leather tape. And I put that on. I was like, is this on the right speed? And I thought it was like <laughs> Motorhead sounding like the Chipmunks, you know? It was like, what the hell? Yeah, these guys are cool. Let's do that. So, no, nah, that just to set the record straight there, that wasn't cool headline, and that was definitely, that was their first opening tour, and James and Lars, I mean, they've been very, you know, very open, that they, they were like sponges, they just sat and watched and took it all in, and that's why there's such a drastic change between the first record and the second record. Looking back now, it's a huge, it's, it's a different band. And that band is the band that became world domine- world domineering, as it were. The Kill 'Em All band that would have never happened. Mm. Honestly, I, I don't think that would have ever happened because it was so. For the time, it was so extreme. It really was, right. you know. It right. Was yeah, that, no, that's uh, a good point. You know, was it in the same way that Motorhead would have never been uh, a household name? <laughs> you know. But as soon as you started hearing Fade to Black, and it's like, oh, there's a, there's another dimension to these guys, you know. Um, and for for you guys, for you guys, John, because again, have in full disclosure, I used to work for, as many people know, Megaforce in the management company, and they handled Raven. And uh, I remember being on the inside and in those offices and hearing, uh, you know, the the effort that went into pushing the band and breaking the band you guys had that point in your career where you jumped like Metallica, like Anthrax, like Overkill from an indie label in Megaforce to a major label in your case as part of the Atlantic deal. But that transition for you, when you talk about a band changing, uh, when you look back on it, there was a lot made of you guys going to the major label and the sound changing a little bit. And maybe even more importantly, the look of the band changing a little bit and the video at that time, I think it was for on and on. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Do you feel that that was a big part of why you guys didn't get to that next level at that time? I, I think really the problem was it, it was multifaceted. It was uh, us being naive. It was the record company, definitely. And I mean, there was a lot of pressure with the second album. I don't, you know, I, I don't think Stay Hard was uh, a thousand miles away from All For One. Uh, it had you know big, big heavy songs, medium paced most of them, a couple of fast ones. Uh, the Packers Back album was a lot more commercial, and our sound is basically a bunch of contradictions balanced out. You know, like a three legged stool. It's got to be, uh, you know, a bit of commercialism on this side, a bit of chaos on this side, uh, some good songwriting melody here, and a bit of noise over there, and it balances and it makes sense. That was just way too commercial. And they pushed Eddie Kramer, the pro- producer, to you know soften things up a little bit and make it all poppy. They, they had this concept that we were going to be something like Bon Jovi meets Kiss or whatever. And, you know, we turned up to do photos. We're going to do photos. Okay, here's these costumes. It was like, huh? Okay. And... You know, that was the last time they were ever worn <laughs> once. It was like, oh, dear. Uh, I can laugh at it now. It's like looking at your old high school photos. But uh, <laughs> they basically put a red nose on us and set us set us up the garden path. And when they wouldn't give us money to do a video, we, you know, had to have a big sit down and just say, this is awful. What are we going to do here? And we just said, let's just do what we want and if everyone loves it, great. And if everyone hates it, great. But at least we can look in the mirror and go, we made a good record as far as we're concerned. And that was when everything got flipped back. We did the Mad EP, and then we did Life's a Bitch. And Atlantic was still clueless and didn't know how to handle any of that, so we parted ways with them. We negotiated our way out of another three or four albums, thank God. And, uh, you know, and at that point... The music was hard thrash or glam. And it was like, we're neither. And then grunge came and killed the whole thing. Uh, So we just concentrated on Europe. And when grunge hit Europe, we concentrated on Japan. And then the wheel turned a bit further and Europe opened up again. And, you know, we'd been around the block enough to, to know that music is cyclical. And good music never dies. It'll go underground for a while and come back, you know? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, last thing, speaking of the old days, uh, what you, you of course, back then were totally known for one of the focal points of the Raven Live show was your drummer, Rob Wacko Hunter, uh, famously shooting fireworks off the top of his head, wearing a hockey helmet when he played, all the craziness that went on with him. Where is he these days, and are you still in touch with him? Yeah, I'm in touch with Rob. Rob is uh, he, he does live sound and records uh, mainly Branford Marsalis, the jazz sax. Wow, is yeah. that a, a 180 from Raven and oh, yeah. blowing off fireworks yeah. off your head he to recording Branford Marsalis? Some rock bands and that, and ended up, you know, doing something for Branford, and they hit it off, and wow, on the road all over the world with him. I think so he's a sound engineer. They're in the UK or Europe right now. I mean, wow, that is amazing. Doing this, he's you know Rob. Rob is always, you know, 
an incredibly talented guy. And yeah. you know, the production end was just something he, he really loved, and he, he picked it up and has done great with it, you know. Do, do you remember in all the years of touring with Raven and being uh, doing this band, which, again, roughly is probably about 50 years at this point, you guys were all... Yeah, you guys were all super crazy on stage. You still are running into each other and Wacko doing what he was doing back there with the drums. It was just, it was so uh, over the top in terms of like the energy and <laughs> you know the craziness on stage at times. Do you remember, do you, do you have a, like one of the most, the greatest mishaps that ever happened? Like was there ever a truly spinal tap moment uh, that, that happened on stage with all the antics that were going on? Oh, jeez, that was last week, right? <laughs> <laughs> it happens, it happens. All, we, we literally were on tour last week in Europe, so, yeah, this craziness is always happening. Uh, we used to have those ramps, and they had, like, a, I don't know, like a three feet by three feet, uh, what they call it, lucite, that see-through plastic. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and they had lights underneath, and this stuff was, like, two inches thick. Well, Mark smashed through it. All the way through. And I've got photographs right now from back then of the bruises on his legs from when it went all the way through. I have a whole <sighs> collection of cuts and bruises in, in a photo album, which is, uh, you know, and Rob punched the cymbals famously when we were opening for Ted Nugent down in Houston. And the blood was squirting like Monty Python. We got 15 minutes in the set and we had to take him off and take him to the hospital. That was kind of ridiculous mm. uh, he's broke his arm he broke his arm at least twice on stage back then uh, I've went through stages uh, just disappeared into black holes in Brazil <laughs> walked off the stage <laughs> <laughs> and of course we could fill a warehouse with the amount of equipment we've destroyed over the years uh, oh, yeah. it's just yeah. uh, where you know we it's not a case of like destroy a guitar tonight. It's just we're really hard on the gear and it it fails. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, man. I'm glad you're still doing it. It's a true story of perseverance. You and your brother uh, continuing this band, like you said, next year for 50 years since the start of Raven. And congratulations on the new album, everybody. The new Raven album's out now. All hell's breaking loose. As uh, John mentioned, there's three music videos up there for you to check out on YouTube right now and more tour dates and uh, stuff in the U.S. to be announced soon for the end of the year. Uh, all the best to you, man. Enjoy your time there in your homeland, and uh, I'm sure I'll see you somewhere on the road when you're back here in the U.S. Absolutely. Yeah, we got eight dates in Europe starting in three weeks, and then it's going to be the States, so check out uh, Facebook and the website and all that good stuff and we'll keep you posted John take care man I'll talk to you soon cheers man and have a great birthday happy birthday oh thank you I appreciate it thank you John take care say hi to Mark will do man cheers thanks to John Gallagher great to visit with him old old friend we got a lot of history it was great to catch up for a bit and of course thank you earlier to Steve Whiteman of Kicks for joining us as well be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And again, do not forget, if you do not have SiriusXM, get on board with a three-month free trial. Just go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. 
three months free, no credit card needed, on the app or on the radio. Listen anytime on demand or in our live window of 3 to 5 Eastern on Channel 103, Faction Talk, or again on the app. Thank you all for listening. Have yourselves a great week, and uh, hopefully catch you on the radio, if not, back next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.